Merry Christmas to you. The season is upon us, and man, I am grateful uh, that you are here today at Crossroads. I want to welcome those of you joining us at Fort Lupton as well as uh, online, wherever you may be. Uh, my name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and uh, part of the reason I'm grateful that you're here today to join us in worship is because we believe here as a church that you belong here. We believe that God sees you and knows you and cares for you, that God has a plan for you. And our hope over the next uh, you know, 28 days as we celebrate the Christmas season together is that you would see that. If you are uh, new with us, uh, man, we are so grateful that you are here. Uh, we have a text number that you can use anytime. It's kind of your uh, easy connection into Crossroads Church. And if you're new here today at any time over the course of the next hour or so, if you want to text new uh, to let us know you're here, that would be awesome. That number is 720-513-199. You'll see it several times today. Uh, we'll use it in some different ways, but you uh, can text that number. Somebody's on the other end to get connected with you. So with that said, Christmas is coming. How many of you are ready? Show of hands. Anybody, anybody ready? Oh man, look, quite a few of you. Yeah, that's really great. Well, undoubtedly, Christmas is the biggest time, biggest and largest celebration around the world each year. Uh, other holidays, you know, get like a day, right? Like Thanksgiving gets a day, but Christmas gets like six weeks. It starts the day after Thanksgiving and the party goes all the way to uh, New Year's Eve. And it's the season where like billions upon billions of people change their normal routines, don't they? Like we, we change our normal routines during this season and we decorate our homes. We send out greeting cards. We buy gifts. We go to Christmas parties. We plan for candlelight services. We watch Christmas specials, you know, lights on our house. House, music's everywhere, the filling the air, and there's just such great anticipation for this time of year. Now, I'm no Scrooge, even though my wife and my middle son, Cademan, have accused me of it multiple times through the years. Uh, when it comes to the Christmas season, I actually love the festivities of this holiday season. I love the lights. I love going downtown and seeing the light displays. I think Union Station, like lit up this time of year, is like one of the most beautiful scenes that we have uh, in Colorado. You know, I'm, I'm all for the classical Christmas music uh, movies, you know, movies like Die Hard and, uh, and uh, Lethal Weapon, Elf, Christmas Vacation. Uh, the one movie that I'm not that into is The Christmas Story. I know, just let me have it. Um, but there's good reason for it, all right? Uh, when I was growing up, my junior year in high school, I spent one year in Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, my family moved there for a year, and um, that town in Indiana loves that movie. I mean, they are crazy about that movie, because, primarily because it's about a small town in Indiana, but also because Terre Haute is mentioned twice in that movie. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but it is. And for the people of Terre Haute, that's something to celebrate in an otherwise they don't have a lot to celebrate, all right? So, um, so my junior year, the way that it worked, I'd never seen the movie before. And um, I walked in like on a Tuesday, and for all seven periods, I watched the first 45 minutes of that movie, and then came back Wednesday and finished seven times the movie, and it was like this terrible Groundhog's Day. Like everybody would laugh at the same parts, and we'd all talk about it, and all this kind of stuff. It's not that I don't like the movie, I just don't ever need to see it again. All right. Admittedly, I did watch A Christmas Story Christmas. It just came out this year on HBO Max. It's about Ralphie like 30 years later, and it is fantastic uh, if you want to go and watch that. So I love the festivities. I'm no Scrooge. But I'm also keenly aware that almost every commercial and television special and classic movie promises us something that it can't deliver on. 
that the things tell us, these things tell us that, that we're going to gather as a family and we're like gonna group hug as we carve the ham together and, and our night's gonna end with nothing but joy and laughter filling the air. There's a feeling to this time of year and we love, we love dreaming about that feeling. And culturally speaking, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the anticipation around Christmas this year is higher than I can remember in at least a decade. Like there's so much anticipation uh, for this Christmas season. We started planning Christmas in September like we do every year as a church. That's when we start planning Christmas is in September. And I left uh, a Wednesday meeting talking about Christmas and I had some errands to run. So I went to Walmart and lo and behold, Walmart already had Christmas stuff set up the first week of September. September, like this is craziness. And yet, then I thought to myself, the only reason that they put this stuff out is because we buy it. You know, that's the only reason that it's, that it's in the stores. And so, as we start celebrating Christmas earlier and earlier, wearing our Christmas sweaters in the 90 degree heat, the question that we have to ask is this, is what do we truly want from this season? What is it that we truly want from this season? What are we hoping for that makes this a merry time of year? The anticipation is here, but what do you long for? What do you long for this Christmas that makes it special for you? See, when we shift from the culture's understanding of Christmas to the true meaning of Christmas, there's an anticipation that cannot be matched, that cannot be competed with. And so over the next five weeks, what I want us to do is I want us to walk the road back to that very first Christmas and the anticipation that filled it and what made it so special. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to turn to Luke chapter one. That's where our Advent uh, begins this year. Well, that's not exactly true. Our Advent's actually gonna begin in Malachi. Now, if you're like, I have no idea where Malachi is, don't fret, most people don't. Even the most devout Bible readers don't spend a lot of time in this little prophetic book called Malachi. But Malachi is a book that is in the Old Testament. It's actually the last book of the Old Testament. So if you can find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels, and just go one book back, uh, you'll find the book of Malachi. It was written 400 years before the birth of Jesus, and Malachi is this prophet, and he's writing to the people of Israel, and he's telling them this is what God is like, and this is what it looks like to be God's people. And so Malachi is this little prophetic book talking about this. And in a very real sense, God, this is God's final word to his people of preparation for his coming, for the Messiah, for the Savior to come into the world. And so Malachi is sitting down and he's writing this little book. And in Malachi chapter three, he writes this promise to the people of Israel that absolutely lights their hearts on fire. Like, like he speaks to the longings of their heart, like the things that they, had been, that they had been dreaming about for years and years. There was something that they had been longing for. There's this anticipation in the air as Malachi prophesies. He gives this prophecy that will absolutely change the foundation of the earth. Here's where it is. Malachi chapter three, starting in verse one, he says this, he writes this. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi is writing this prophecy and God is speaking to his people and here's what God's saying. He's saying, get ready. Like I'm coming. Like, like prepare yourselves, be ready. That I'm coming and Christmas is on. Now, before I invade, he says, before I invade humanity, before I invade this world, I'm gonna send a messenger. And this messenger is going to come and he's going to herald, he's going to proclaim my coming. 
Now, what we have to understand for this is that Israel, from the very beginning of, of their existence, from Genesis chapter 3 on, they looked at this promise in Genesis that we find in Genesis chapter 3, and they saw that God was going to come again, that God was going to come into this world, that they would be face-to-face with God, that they would have this relationship with God. This is what their hearts longed for, and now Malachi is making this promise that it's coming, that it's happening. And before it happens, this messenger is going to come to prepare the way. He tells us a little bit more about this messenger in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, when he writes, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers. God's going, write this down. Here's what's going to happen next in human history. A prophet like Elijah. Now, if you're here and you're like, man, I have no clue who Elijah is. In Jewish history, Elijah's like in the Hall of Fame of Prophets, all right? Anytime someone said his name, it would be revered. And God is saying through the prophet Malachi that as I come, I'm going to send this this prophet like Elijah. And he's going to come into this world and he's going to proclaim repentance. And as he proclaims repentance, fathers' hearts are going to turn to their children and children's hearts are going to turn to their fathers. And all of this will be in preparation for my coming. That I'm coming into this world and this messenger is proclaiming this. Now, like, as we read this, like the promise is right there before Israel. The thing that they had longed for is right there. The anticipation is an all-time high. The party's getting started and they're ready to meet God. And then the next thing that happens, 400 years of silence. 400 years of deaf silence. No more prophets, no more holy books, no more visions from heaven. The messenger promised here never shows up to the party. And after centuries, the people of Israel, they start to wonder what you and I would start to wonder. Has God forgotten us? Can God be trusted? Will God actually deliver on his promises? Can he deliver on the promises that he he makes? Is, Is God even real? And then everything changes in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five, when Luke writes these words to us, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in their years. This great story of Christmas begins in the days of Herod, the king of Judah. From history, we know this guy as Herod the Great, the brilliant but crazy James Bond-like villain who was the Roman governor of Judah. And Herod was this man who was born from the line of Enoch. He was, he was from the line of Enoch, which is important. I'm not sorry, Enoch, Esau. And knowing that he's from the line of Esau is important. Now, all the way back in Genesis, we have the story of Esau and his brother Jacob. They were twins. They were born on the same day. And from birth, they have this epic fight, this epic showdown of who's going to have the birthright. It was very important in the ancient Near East of of who had the firstborn birthright. And so Jacob and Esau are in this like epic showdown over birthright. Eventually Jacob gets the upper hand and takes the birthright, literally steals the birthright from Esau. Now, from the rest of, you know, 
Old Testament history, Esau's people eventually becomes what's known as the Edomites. Jacob's people eventually becomes known, what's known as the Israelites. And throughout Old Testament history, every time we see the Edomites, they're trying to kill the Israelites. Like literally, they're trying to wipe the Israelites off the face of the planet because Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. It's this like family, dysfunctional family thing that lasted for you know, generations upon generations upon generations. And this whole story culminates in the Gospel of Matthew when Matthew tells us that Herod, the great Edomite, who's the ruler over the Jews, finds out that there's this Israelite boy named Jesus who's being born and that the people around Jerusalem are starting to talk that maybe this Jesus is the real ruler of all of Israel. Well, you can imagine how that news falls on a James Bond villain. That he takes that news pretty poorly and he declares at that moment that every boy born who is two years old and younger must be slaughtered. That these were dark and terrible days under the reign of Herod. However, in those dark and terrible days, there was this priest named Zechariah. And there's nothing actually particularly interesting or remarkable about this guy. When the Bible says that he's a priest, that's like our modern day understanding of a pastor. And he's a pastor that serves like in some rural town. So he's like this small time pastor. He's not one of, well, not one of the big pastors that are serving in, in Jerusalem at the big temple. He's, he's just a faithful dude serving out in kind of the rural parts of Israel as this priest. And we're told that he's married to this woman named Elizabeth and that they're righteous people, but even in their righteousness that they don't have any children, which is an important little fact for us to know. To have no children carried the stigma culturally, and it was you know, emotionally devastating. Financially, during this time, it was, it was dangerous. And so you have Zechariah, this old timer, just small town, rural pastor, living as faithfully as he could. There's nothing significant about him and his life that he would make it into the Christmas story. And yet, because of he and his wife's love for God and God's love for them, there's actually significance to their lives, which is true of every single one of us, by the way, that there is an insignificant significance about each of our lives because of God's love for us. Verse eight. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So as we read this, you got to realize that this was Zechariah's big day. That in Israel, there's 18,000 priests in Israel during this time. And the 18,000 priests were subdivided or put into 24 divisions. And those 24 divisions made up 750 priests in each division. Now, what they would do is they would get to go to Jerusalem twice a year for one week to serve in the temple, to, to do the things in the temple, to minister in the temple. And if you were part of the priest during this time, the way that you got to serve in the temple is that all of the priests and the priest buddies, all 750 of them would get together and they would literally throw dice. And if your number came up, then you got the honor of serving in the temple. Now, what it looked like to serve in the temple was that you would go into the room next to the Holy of Holies, that you'd go in, into the room where coals were burning, you would throw incense on the, prayer, on the coals, you would close your eyes, and you would say a prayer. That was your big day. And I know that some of you are thinking, like, like that was the big day? That was the big day, all right? That's what every priest longed for in Israel, is to serve the temple in that way. Once you did it, you could no longer ever do it again. It was one and done. You were declared holy and blessed, and you not, never got to do it again. 
That's the way it was. This is what you lived for as a priest. And so that was your big day. Now, when you went in to burn incense and to say a prayer, all the other priests, all the 749 other priests, they would get down on their knees like this, they would raise their hands to heaven, and they would pray for you as you were doing this. So this was, this was pretty short time. This would, this would happen pretty quickly. And so all the priests are gathered together, and for 30, 40 years, Zechariah, the old-timer, has been coming, he's been serving, he's been making this journey to and from Jerusalem twice a year, and his, never, his number has never come up. For 40 years, he's been passed over. For 40 years, he's watched all of his friends and his buddies be declared blessed and holy, and faithfully, he comes year after year. And this year, as the priests throw their dice, his number comes up, he hits the lottery. And as his number comes up, all of the priesthood looks at Zachariah in astonishment, like this is his day, this is his moment, the honor's all yours, buddy. Now, when he walked into the temple to, to do this duty, like he didn't get to go into the big room, that was the Holy of Holies, that's where God's presence was at. Like he didn't get to go there, but he got to be in the room right next to it, just on the other side of the veil. Like this was as close to God as he had ever been in his entire life as a priest. And so what he would do is he'd go in and he'd take the incense, the frankincense and the myrrh, and he would take it and he would throw it on the hot coals in the fire and the incense would burn and fill the temple with the smell. Now for Western people like us, when we think of incense and burning incense, we think of it as some kind of like Middle Eastern voodoo, it's not. It has always been and is a symbol of prayer. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we're told that when we close our eyes and we pray to God, that the prayers are like incense to his nostrils. The incense in the scriptures is this is the symbol of our prayer lives, the sweet fragrance to God. And so Zechariah throws the incense in, he closes his eyes, and he begins to pray. And because he's a faithful man, I think his prayer went like, this is a totally conjecture on my part, but I think he prayed, Father, like you see your people, remember us. Remember your promises to us and send your Messiah, your Savior, to come and save us. Like I think that was his prayer. And so he prays that prayer, he opened his eyes and bam, verse 11 happens. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Like, like 400 years, not a sound from God. And then Zechariah of all people, like this angel just shows up, like this was supposed to be easy, right? Like burn some incense, say a prayer, bing, bang, bam, get out. Like everybody calls you holy and blessed. He does all that. He opens his eyes and bam, an angel's here. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Good thing this old boy didn't have a heart attack. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, be not afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So get this, 400 years silence from God. Hope has all but faded, the anticipation completely dead, and all of a sudden an angel shows up to Zechariah of all people and says to him, you're going to have a baby boy. And I want you to name your baby boy John, which in the Hebrew means that God is gracious. I mean, just for a moment, I just want you to, to allow God's graciousness to roll over you as you consider this story. This is an old-time priest without kids. Culturally, they believe that if you didn't have kids, if you didn't have kids, then you were actually cursed by God. As a priest, you can imagine how this went. 
for 30, 40 years of his life that every time he met someone, introduced himself, they would ask him if he had kids and his answer would have to be no. And they would look at him with that look that you know, that look of shame, like Zechariah, what's going on in your life that God's not blessing you? You add that to the fact that for 30, 40 years, he's made the trek to Jerusalem every year, twice a year, throwing the dice, his numbers never come up. Time and time again, his numbers never come up. Like the whole world's gotta be thinking that him and Elizabeth, that something's wrong with them, that something's going on in their life, that there's some kind of moral failing, there's a sin that's going on in their life. I mean, can you imagine living in that kind of culture as a priest with that hanging over your head for 40 years? And then suddenly an angel shows up and says, I want you to know that you're gonna have a baby boy. You name him, you name him John. God is gracious. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness will fill your heart and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. I mean, this is so awesome. This is just God loving on this old time guy. He gives him the desire of his heart, tells him that he's going to have a son. And not only is he going to have a son, but his name is, you know, that when people hear his name, they're going to think of greatness, which had to mean something in the context of Herod the Great. Like everybody knows that Herod's the great one. But the angel says, no, 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 no. Through history, Herod may be called great, but your son, he will be remembered as the great one. That this is the one that we're looking to. Like he's going to be great. Herod will be known as the great one, but your son, he will do great things. He will serve the Lord. And just as a total side note to this, let the story of your life, let the greatness of your life be defined by your faithfulness to God, not what the world tries to fill it with. Let your greatness be defined by your faithfulness to God. This angel looks as Zachariah says, your boy, he's gonna be great. He's gonna spend his entire life serving God. And as your son comes, I want you to know that I've, that, I've heard your, that I've heard your prayers. Your son's coming. He's going to be great in the sight of God. And then it just keeps getting better for this old-time priest. He goes, he's, he writes down, Luke writes down for us, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, no Christmas spirits for John. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. These are the words from Malachi 400 years ago. Zechariah, did you hear that? Like, like your boy is gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit, which was a really big deal. Because the Holy Spirit just didn't fall on believers like it does today. The Holy Spirit was reserved for those who were anointed by God, mainly prophets and kings. That's who got the Holy Spirit. And the angel's looking at Zechariah and going, do you hear it? Do you get it? Like, Zechariah, your boy's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit the way Elijah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Your boy's going to be a prophet the way Elijah's going to be a prophet. Like, your boy is the fulfillment of Malachi 3 and 4. History is in motion. Zechariah, pay attention here. God has not forgotten you. God hears the prayers. There's hope. For 400 years, God hasn't been silent. He's been working this on. Christmas is on. Zechariah's boy is coming so that the world might be prepared for the Savior who would enter into this world and bring good news of great joy. See, what Zechariah's boy, John the Baptist, will ultimately do for Israel 
Advent can do for me and you. So back to our question. Are you ready for Christmas? Not, you know, tree up, lights in the house, presents under the tree, not, not that kind of ready. Are you spiritually ready for Christmas this season? See, what Advent can do for us is prepare us the way that John the Baptist prepared Israel. So as I close up the sermon, what I want to do is I just want to give you three quick ways that you can prepare your hearts for December 25th as we prepare for the celebration of the birth of our Savior. Number one, redeem your anticipation. There's anticipation everywhere in our culture right now for Christmas. Like I said, maybe more today than there's been in the last decade. Anticipation for this season is everywhere. Here's what I mean by redeeming it. We must consider the bad news that makes the good news wonderful. See, when we live our lives looking for other good news of great joy, we long for something that the world can never deliver. We long for a promise that the world can, can never bring to us. Why? Because we live in a broken and fallen world. See, there's something terribly wrong with you there's something terribly wrong with me. There's something terribly wrong that's happened in the cosmos. Something is broken. That the relationship between God and man has been severed. And because it has been severed, there's this brokenness that overflows into the world at every level. Into the governments that we run, into the businesses that we lead, into the families that we grow. Like this brokenness is everywhere and we have no power to save ourselves. Like no amount of might or will or education will ultimately usher in peace on this earth or let's be real, peace in your family. And instead of hiding from this reality, this is the very context which makes the real meaning of Christmas irreplaceable. See, the Christmas anticipation is of a little boy named Jesus who enters into this world to save us from the brokenness. And he's called, he's called for us, mighty counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's called wonderful counselor because, because he comes to bring hope to those who are grieving and in need of help. He's our mighty God because he's the savior that ultimately brings hope into the broken world by forgiving us of our sins. He's everlasting father, which means that he's not replacing our heavenly father, but instead showing us the care that the father has for us. He's the Prince of Peace, meaning that he can deliver what our governments, our treaties, our presidents can never deliver on actual peace on this earth, peace with God himself. See, to not lose the substance of Christ in the shadows of all the excitement of Christmas this season, we must seriously reflect upon the good news of great joy given to a broken world. And I know for us that that sounds a little bit counterintuitive. Like to think about the brokenness of the world in the most wonderful season of the year. And for some of us, we think, man, you're like skipping Christmas, you're going right to Easter, right? Like, like let's just slow down. But hear me out on this. We have to. We have to consider the reality of our sin in order to remember that we need a savior. To sit for a moment in the darkness of this world's so that we can marvel in celebration at the light of heaven that came down to earth to save us. You can prepare this Christmas by redeeming your anticipation. Number two, to get prepared, you need to build a God-centered anticipation, an expectation, an excitement 
for Christmas in your home, especially if you have kids and grandkids running around. If you're excited about Jesus, then they will be too. See, hear me out on this. Listen to me here. If your only excitement in your home this Christmas is for the material things that come on December 25th, you will never actually show and teach your kids and your grandkids what it means to be excited for Jesus, the true meaning of Christmas. And so my challenge to you is to, is to spend some time to bend the efforts of your imagination, to get innovative in order to make the wonder of Jesus' arrival on Christmas something to marvel at with your kids and your grandkids. Build God-centered anticipation. Number three, nourish the anticipation of your soul. Look, we all realize that this season is a busy, busy season for us, isn't it? That we have a house to decorate, we have presents to buy, we have family to visit, we have Christmas cards to put together. Like, like this season, as, as much anticipation and as wonderful as it is, is busy, busy time for us. And oftentimes, when it comes to the busyness of our lives, the thing that we forget in the busyness is our relationship with God, which is totally ironic, isn't it? That the whole Christmas season is built upon Jesus coming into this world, and the thing that we forget in the busyness is actually him. We know it can be a challenge, and we want to be a church that helps. And so starting today, starting today, we're putting out a Christmas devotion every day from now until Christmas. For the next 29 days, we're putting out, we've chosen the 29 classical Christmas songs that you hear everywhere that fill department stores with, that fill the electronic stores with. Like everywhere we go, we hear Christmas songs. What we've done is we've written devotions to those Christmas songs that you can jump up on our social media, whether it be YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, and you can get that devotion every day to nourish your soul. If you like it, you can share it. See, all of Advent is about anticipation. It's, it's the coming days. And in these coming days, if you haven't already, you'll roll out the lights on your house, you'll set up your tree, you'll begin to put gifts and presents under that tree. And it's what excites us. It's part of what excites us this Christmas season, and it should. Like, we should be totally excited about those festivities that happen in this season. And if you're a Christian here today, there's even more excitement around the corner. Because we as Christians believe, we absolutely positively believe that the same God who promised that Jesus would show up the first time to win the hearts of many and to pay for the sins of this broken world, that that same God promises that Jesus will come and return us home, that he will come again to bring us home. See, we celebrate the first Christmas because we know that there's a second Christmas coming. So let the anticipation of Christmas be a blessing to you this season as we begin Advent together. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and God, our anticipation is great. Lord, we're excited for what you're doing and the way that you're moving. And um, Lord, there's just something about this season. Lord, the lights on houses, the snow on the ground, the, the Christmas music in the stores, the buying gifts for others. Lord, there's just a lot of excitement. There's a lot of good feeling that comes with this season. And Father, why we celebrate all of that, Lord, I pray that we would not be a people that gets caught up in the false reality of culture, Lord, that promises something that it can never deliver on. But Lord, that we continue to look forward in anticipation for what you did coming into this world, saving us from our sins, dying on the cross, 
offering forgiveness so that we could be in relationship with you and experience true peace on this earth. And so, Father, I pray today that in the midst of the excitement and the anticipation that comes, Lord, that our eyes would be focused on you, that our eyes would be focused on the realities of what you come to offer us. Lord, I pray for those today, Lord, who, are whisper, who you're whispering to their souls. Lord, as they contemplate, Lord, this season and what it looks like for them, that they would draw in to you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you move. We thank you for the anticipation of the first Christmas. We thank you for Zachariah, Lord, just a nobody from nowhere who because of your love is significant and made it into our story. God, thank you for being a God who cares for people like that, for people like us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Today, if you're ready to talk about what a relationship with Jesus looks like, why we make Jesus a big deal, I'd encourage you simply to text the word Jesus, the name of Jesus, to our text number. Again, that number is 720-513-1933. As we prepare our hearts for communion, what I want to do is just offer a few moments of silence for you. As we've darkened the lights in house, for you to sit in the darkness for a moment so that we can marvel in celebration of the light of heaven coming into this world to save us from our sins. light of heaven came into this world as a baby boy living a perfect life going to the cross where his body was broken so that we might have life with him and so today we eat and we celebrate the Christmas story by remembering the cross and we drink from the cup knowing that the hope that we celebrate this Advent season is in the pouring of Jesus' blood, that through his blood we find life. I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're gonna sing to this awesome baby boy that we call Jesus. If you need some prayer over the next few minutes, we'd love to pray for you online. You can click the button in house. You can make your way over to the banner, but let's sing together to our Lord and Savior Jesus.